to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Welcome to another one of our programs on legal professionals and purpose-driven organizations dedicated to making a positive economic, social, and environmental impact on our world. We're having a series of conversations with people who are committed to making a difference by contributing their time, expertise, and experience to supporting those organizations and participating in the development of new solutions for achieving sustainability. The series, which we are calling Corporate Lawyers Changing the World, an insider's look at corporate social responsibility, is sponsored and supported by the business law section of the American Bar Association, which has over 50,000 members and has just published the Corporate Social Responsibility Deskbook. Sales of the Deskbook have been gratifying, and these podcasts provide a great opportunity to provide more information within the legal community and to entrepreneurs, directors, executives, managers, investors, and others interested in one of the most important global topics of our time. I'm Alan Gutterman of Gutterman PC, working here in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, and I'm your host for the series and one of the co-editors and authors of the desk book. Today, we will be hearing from David Silk, who led the team of experts who wrote the pivotal chapter on ESG, sustainability, and CSR, governance, and the role of the board in the desk book. David is a partner at Wachtell Lipton in New York. He focuses on takeover defense, corporate governance, and shareholder activism, risk oversight, U.S. and cross-border mergers, acquisitions, and strategic partnerships, and other corporate and securities law matters. David advises worldwide and across industries, including technology, consumer goods, retail, food and beverage, and sports. Uh, David and I have also uh, collaborated on various projects over the years with the ABA, and I always appreciated his support and, once again, uh, I'm very glad to have him with us today. David, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience and purpose with our listeners. Let's start with a real quick overview of where you work and who you work with. Th- thank you, Alan. Uh, as, as you noted, uh, I'm a partner with Wachtell Lipton in New York, and a significant part of my practice involves corporate governance issues, including, especially recently, advising companies and boards concerning the impact of ESG issues on corporate governance. The title for the book includes Corporate Social Responsibility, or CSR, but there are a lot of different ideas about what's going on in this area. What's your understanding of CSR, ESG, sustainability, purpose, and any of the other terms that are used? And and how do you try and explain each of these things to your clients, your colleagues, uh, friends, and, and even family members? CSR, sustainability, and purpose all focus on overlapping themes and issues that fall under the umbrella of ESG. In recent years, ESG has become a critical issue for investors, shareholders, companies, and various other stock uh, stakeholders. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance issues, and it covers a wide range of topics. 
Examples of E issues include climate change, including both risks and opportunities, water usage and waste disposal. The S category includes a number of issues ranging from treatment of employees to impacts on communities, including diversity, anti-corruption, and others. And the G group is perhaps most familiar to U.S. investors, companies, and directors as it focuses on corporate governance generally, as well as the management of each of the ESG issues specifically. What we've been discussing with clients is the fact that ESG has become a critical issue for investors, shareholders, companies, and various other stakeholders in recent years. At the core of ESG is a recognition that there are risks to be managed and opportunities to be had. For example, PG&E is a well-known example of the financial and reputational impacts of climate change. On the opportunity side, we've seen companies include increased R&D spending on technology to mitigate the impact of climate change as a factor driving a business combination. Very helpful, thank you. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what your personal and professional path has been like and uh, how it is that you came to land where you are today? Well, I've, I've been at Wachtell Lipton for my entire career. I originally focused on hostile and friendly mergers and acquisitions, and from there branched into corporate governance more generally. Uh, like most lawyers, my focus has changed with the demands of the market. And in the last decade, I've spent a significant amount of time on shareholder activism and other areas of interest to investors and boards of uh, public companies. As a firm, we strive to be on top of issues that are of significant importance to companies and boards and we clearly see ESG matters as an area that directors are more and more interested in understanding. Uh, building on that, uh, tell me a little bit about what your days are like and, and what projects are occupying most of your time right now. Well, I, I, I typically deal with a combination of transactional issues and governance issues in any given day. Um, and as I mentioned, ESG is occupying an increasing part of that space. I certainly can understand that. And, and, and let's, note, let's turn now to some of the topics that we covered in the book. And I'd say, you know, the, the chapter that, that you and your team wrote, uh, certainly uh, core to the book, uh, core to a lot of the dialogue going on here and everything. And, and uh, you know, again, we were delighted to have, uh, you, you know, walked out front and center on, a, on this particular topic. Uh, I want to ask if couple of questions directly related to the chapter, you know, starting with, um, you know, what's driving the growing interest in ESG? Well, a lot of what we're seeing today is a response to a grassroots push, particularly from investors and asset managers, for companies to pay attention to issues such as sustainability, diversity, supply chain management, and customer satisfaction. To some extent, particularly on the climate side, this goes back to a wake-up call that came from Mark Carney, who's the governor and was in 2015 also the head of the Financial Standards Board. And he made a speech at that time that made clear for the financial world that climate change needed to be taken seriously and that doing so required measurement, disclosure, and management of business impact. Um, at the same time, uh, the societal aspect of ESG has become more important as evidenced by issues running from Me Too to cybersecurity breaches to the opioid epidemic. There's also significant statistical evidence that millennials and women in particular 
are concerned about these matters and that a significant amount of investable assets are held by or will be transferred to these demographic groups. As a result of all of these forces, major asset managers have heard and are responding to calls from their clients to take into account ESG issues when making investment decisions. Accordingly, we've seen companies and their advisors having significant interest in ESG issues. And in particular, a growing number of U.S. companies disclose ESG performance in their sustainability reports and create dedicated sustainability websites, in addition to including some ESG-related disclosures in their SEC filings. At the same time, a cottage industry has grown around ESG disclosures. We now have a fragmented but broad set of disclosure frameworks, rating agencies, consultants, and attestation providers all of which help companies disclose ESG data. That, indeed, and, and in fact, uh, uh, as part of our series, we have uh, a couple of other contributors who are going to uh, speak more to some of the reporting issues and, and trends, uh, as well as um, the data collection challenges that, that many companies uh, must overcome in preparing their reports. Um, David, what what are some of the latest trends and developments you're seeing in ESG? Well, the first is the growth of stakeholder capitalism. From the broadest perspective, the most significant ESG-related trend is the shift away from shareholder-centric capitalism towards stakeholder capitalism. Until recently, there was the widely held view that maximizing shareholder value was the sole purpose of the corporation. The Business Roundtable's revised statement on the, cor- the purpose of the corporation which was released last year, marked a key turning point in this shift towards stakeholder capitalism. And it's now widely understood that in order to be successful, directors must think about how employees, customers, and other stakeholders are affected by corporate decisions. The second major trend is the focus on ESG disclosure. Along with the growing focus on ESG came this push for ESG disclosure and importantly for disclosure of decision-useful metrics that are comparable across companies and industries. This is coming from major investors as well as multinational companies themselves. The CEOs of both BlackRock and State Street sent letters earlier this year warning that they would take action against directors of companies that are not making sufficient progress on sustainability-related disclosures and the business practices and plans underlying them. State Street's approach is particularly significant because State Street has implemented its own rating system that integrates information collected by a set of ESG data ranking providers and effectively grades companies based on their relative ESG performance. The International Business Council of the World Economic Forum also issued its own set of proposed ESG metrics, which draws from major existing frameworks. Uh, That move was notable for a number of reasons, but particularly because all of the big four accounting firms were significantly involved in the formulation of that proposal. All that being said, the ESG disclosure landscape remains fragmented, despite growing calls for a standardized set of metrics. And I'm not going to get into a deep dive on these differences, uh, as as one of the other chapters in the book is devoted to the topic, But um, let me flag a few key issues for companies and directors. One is the fact that the different disclosure frameworks have different approaches to materiality. So for example, GRI looks for disclosure of issues that are important to stakeholders. 
while SASB bases its disclosure requirements on financial materiality. A second key issue is the question of where disclosure is made, whether in core SEC reports, standalone sustainability reports, websites, or other outlets. And companies and boards are highly focused on where they should disclose their ESG metrics. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, is the growing understanding that standardized decision useful metrics will actually be incorporated into various ESG rankings and ratings, and then investors will make economic decisions based on those rankings. The third uh, major trend is climate change. Investors are increasingly focused on climate change, both from the perspective of physical risks and from the perspective of risks and opportunities, particularly regulatory risks, involving in transitioning to a two-degree economy. Uh, this can in include a wide variety of issues from regulatory risk to analysis of different outcomes under different assumptions about climate change. And the fourth major trend is concern about human capital management. Within this area, two issues seem to stand out. One is diversity, with, for example, California passing a law requiring publicly traded companies headquartered in the state to add at least one woman to their boards. Uh, major institutional investors noting that they'll vote against all male boards. And Goldman Sachs even announcing that it will no longer take a U.S. or European company public if there are no women on the board. The other is a generalized concern for employees with a focus on an expectation that companies will employ their will pay their employees a living wage. Uh, following one recent conference of CEOs and corporate thought leaders, it was reported that the leading question that uh, CEOs were asking is whether their employees would want their own friends and families to be working for the company. Mm. David, you mentioned that you spend a lot of your time counseling board members. Um, why should boards care about these recent trends? Well, boards should be paying especially close attention to these developments because they directly affect their role and responsibilities. One of the board's responsibilities is oversight of risk management. ESG at its most basic form is an element of risk. Uh, this can be seen in terms of climate change in a company such as PG&E, in cybersecurity in a number of companies, in public health in opioid manufacturers, and HR issues with respect to Me Too. Um, ultimately, investors rely on boards to ensure proper risk management and that the company remains resilient to ESG impacts and will continue to deliver value to shareholders and other stock stakeholders in the long term. At the same time, elements of ESG can be used proactively as part of a company's long-term strategy, and of course, directors are concerned about that. Strategic opportunities abound, including on the technology side, in terms of adjusting to a low-carbon economy, and on the investment side, in terms of making a company attractive to investors that are seeking either to exclude poor ESG performers or weight in favor of positive ESG performers. You mentioned climate change, and climate change is, is not a topic that we uh, focused on directly in the book although several of the chapters referred to it, and we had a chapter on, on environmentals and that sort of thing. But since the book has come out, uh, in talking to people, particularly in-house counsel, uh, they have been uh, quite puzzled and alarmed about 
uh, how to get their hands around uh, dealing with climate change from in, in all the dimensions that you've spoken about, you know, counseling, counseling board members, uh, reporting, uh, compliance, you know, beyond the day-to-day -day environmental matters and that sort of thing. And several of the guests on this series have already spent, uh, when given the opportunity, a little extra time to talk about climate change. From your perspective, David, you know, what are, what are the key risks and opportunities that companies should be aware of in this area? Well, climate change uh, has become truly a top issue for investors and other stakeholders. Uh, companies, and particularly companies that are carbon dependent or responsible for a disproportionate amount of carbon emissions, are under tremendous pressure to demonstrate how their businesses will transition to a low carbon economy. There are already investors, including BlackRock, who are looking to divest from thermal coal and other high-risk sect sectors. But at the same time, investors in financial institutions that are actively seeking to move capital into sustainable areas will be assisted by the increased disclosure of financial metrics, which over time should align ESG rankings with economic terms. So in addition to risk, there are business opportunities. Um, we'll likely see companies in industries such as renewables or which have a strong record of R&D poised to become potentially attractive targets for M&A. We've already seen mainstream asset managers acquiring ESG-oriented investment funds, and we think that trend could expand to other industries, particularly if market valuations start aligning with ESG performance. And we are seeing sustainability-linked lending, in which interest rates can go down or up based on ESG achievements or failures as a way for a company for example, a JetBlue, uh, which has uh, recently issued sustainability-linked bonds, um, to align its financial incentives with its ESG goals and to signal the importance of those goals. Uh, sustainability-linked lending also permits investors to support ESG goals in a fairly direct manner. At this point, the economic influence of this type of lending is low, but these are in their early days. Uh, risk management will be key. Uh, a a transi transition to a low-carbon economy will impact most, if not all, uh, sectors of the economy. And while certain sectors, such as energy and logistics, are more vulnerable in a low-carbon economy, investors are scrutinizing sustainability and resource management policies all across the various sectors. Uh, and companies will have to be prepared for potential regulatory impacts, especially if they have operations in Europe and other non-U.S. Ju jurisdictions and they'll have to think about climate impacts on uh, and climate impacts of their supply chain, physical assets, and product lines. Climate change is certainly a, a big topic in the, uh, the first of ESG, the E topic. Um, let's move now to the social factors, the S topic in ESG. Uh, David, what are, what are some of the biggest concerns that you're seeing today in this area? Well, first, stakeholders are coming to the fore. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing a shift away from shareholder capitalism towards stakeholder capitalism. And that opens the door for a wide range of third parties to exert influence on corporate decision making. The impact of stakeholder capitalism is that companies will be increasingly expected to consider the impact of their decisions in business operations on employees, consumers, 
and communities in which they operate, in addition to uh, the value to stockholders. And these stakeholders each raise different issues that companies will need to address. For example, with respect to employees, companies will need to think about training, labor practices, health and safety, and diversity and inclusion in a more significant way than perhaps than they have in the past. Similarly, with respect to consumers, companies will need to think about their relationships with their customers, do customers trust the, your business, how is the company perceived by consumers, how do customers view your products and services. Uh, companies also need to think about their impact on local communities. For example, some currently disclose in their sustainability reports how they've materially improved local communities through philanthropic efforts, job creation and training, investment in infrastructure, or, or other means. One what, what of the key issues is how does a company recruit and foster talent? Investors are looking at employee turnover and the quality of training and using these metrics as a proxy for the quality of management. And they use that information to determine whether a company can retain its competitive edge. And it is one of the, the issues that is most important currently uh, to directors. The other issue that's attracted a great deal of attention is consumer welfare, particularly the protection of customer data and cybersecurity. We've seen a number of companies, notably Facebook, Target, Sony, and Equifax, who've incurred financial losses and whose reputations were tainted by lapses in data security. Investors and the public are continuing to demand transparency and disclosure on how companies protect consumer data and maintain the integrity of their systems. Let's move now to the, uh, the third letter in our ES ESG. Um, Perhaps the the one that's been uh, top of mind and around for the uh, longest time in terms of attention. Um, governance has always been in the spotlight. Uh, what's your take on on the big issues that you're seeing today? Well, boardroom diversity remains at the forefront of governance concerns. Uh, as, as as I mentioned earlier, we've seen key institutional investors, including State Street and BlackRock stating in their proxy voting guidelines that they expect to see women and diverse candidates represented on boards of public companies. In addition, we're seeing companies moving to provide more transparency on the selection of board candidates, with some actively seeking to diversify their boards by adopting the, the so-called Rooney Rule, the rule that requires that uh, qualified diverse candidates are uh, featured in candidate director nominee lists. Mm -hmm. Uh, oversight and risk management is another area of governance that continues to attract scrutiny. It's expected that boards are responsible for the oversight of ESG issues and risks. Some companies have established dedicated board committees to monitor ESG issues. Others have chosen to add these responsibilities to their audit or other committees. What's important here is that companies be able to demonstrate that there is a process for oversight of ESG risks and that important information is being delivered to and addressed by the board in a timely manner. There's also a growing expectation that boards will integrate information relating to a company's ESG performance into broader business strategy and longer-term objectives. Stakeholder engagement remains an important governance issue and is tied to the growth in ESG disclosure. 
One common complaint among investors is that companies are not proactive in engaging with their shareholders. Uh, many seem wary of engagement on these issues. As a result, important information might not be effectively communicated to the various stakeholders. So as ESG disclosure moves into the mainstream, stakeholders will increasingly expect to engage with the companies on those disclosures, and companies should be prepared for future approaches and should recognize that proactive engagement with, st with st stakeholders under the appropriate circumstances can lead to constructive results that benefit and differentiate the company. David, what, what's your take on, on how the regulatory landscape looks today for, for these issues? Well, the SEC continues to require public companies to disclose limited ESG information in response to specific line items. And to the extent it is material, certain information has to be disclosed as part of MD&A. Uh, it's notable that in its recent proposal to update MD&A disclosure requirements, the SEC did not specifically require any additional ESG disclosure, despite some uh, fairly public calls for it to do so. Uh, however, the SEC does expect companies to include and explain material key performance indicators in their MDNA, um, and it's clear that uh, some material KPIs could be within the ESG categories. Interestingly, we've not seen significant enforcement activity with respect to ESG disclosure from the SEC, but we have, some, we have seen some state attorneys general, such as New York and Massachusetts, uh, taking the lead on this front. Outside the United States, more disclosures required, particularly in the EU, where large companies and asset managers are required to disclose their policies with respect to specified ESG issues if those issues are either financially material or important to the company's activities. Hmm. David, everybody wanted a few more pages for their chapters. I, I can assure you that. Uh, so what I'm trying to do as I do these these conversations is ask everyone that uh, if they were given a li little bit more space, uh, what would they have liked our readers to know? So um, what what final thoughts uh, do you have for our listeners today that, that uh, you'd like them to take home with them? Well, I guess just maybe three tips for... Um uh, for directors on managing ESG issues. First, uh, work closely with management to ensure that the board understands and is able to integrate information on, its, the, on the company's ESG performance into long-term business strategy. Uh, second, stay abreast of new developments relevant to the company and the industry and recognize uh, that the ESG landscape continues to evolve rapidly. Uh, and obviously some industries are facing greater scrutiny scrutiny than others. And, and, and finally, uh, recognize that ESG presents opportunities in addition to risks. Uh, we're at the beginning of a transformative shift in capital and boards should be nimble in identifying and capitalizing on, on those opportunities. Absolutely. Very well said. David, I want to thank you again for participating. And of course, I want to thank all of you out there for listening. I hope you'll join me for other programs in the series, and you can find information about the series, all of my guests, and the desk book, as well as resources on series topics provided by contributors at my website, alangutterman.com. If you have questions for me or any of our guests, 
send me an email at alangetterman at gmail.com. So long for now, and I hope to be talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.